Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. How are you doing this wonderful evening? Baruch Hashem. Baruch I'm uh, doing quite well. Well, Baruch So I want to welcome everybody to Unleash the Korachim. <laughs> as Ishpela also codenamed it, Korachet. Because we're going to correct Korah according to the et, the Aleph Tav. Get you some. So, we're going to correct it. <laughs> Ken, that's what we're going to do. Nachon. All right. Well, without further ado, let's say the opening bracha and get with the drashim. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol hamim, venatan lanu etorato, Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah, Amen. Amen. Come on. All right. So what you got for us today, Ishpela? What do I have? Okay. Well, Baruch Hashem, I am back in the Green Book as I have been in. This kind of seems like this uh, Torah cycle. I've been just in this Green Book nonstop, and I can't stop it. <laughs> so I just figured I'd be in here again. All right. Well, Baruch Hashem, I told so, everybody you've been in the Blue Book this week, or at least you were for a day this week. I was. I was. I was. I was both in the. Well, I, I guess. I guess the blue book led me to the green book. If that makes sense. <laughs> yes. Okay. So. <laughs> That's greatness. But since we said the twelve rocket, let's start with what I did come across in. Parsha Korach. So, I just want to start with two things. It said, it says here in verse, what verse is this? Verse two. It says, read the verse here. It says, they stood before Moshe with 250 men from the children of Israel. So the, the children of Israel just in, automatically impl implies the men. This is women not excluded. I'll, I'll tab that and come back to it later in the in the the absence of my brother Hasis here. But uh, All right. you know, so the children of Israel, leaders of the assembly, those summoned for meeting, men of renown. So it says that the word for those summoned, karai, the term is defectively spelled without the central yud, equaling 10. The gematria for yud is 10. Right. It says, for they transgressed the 10 commandments. Wow. The footnote says, where it is explained, where is it explained that they're defined, or sliga, perush haru haru Keach to 26.9 below where it is explained that their defiance against that which God commanded Moshe, their defiance against that which 
God commanded Moshe. Their defiance against that which God commanded Moshe was tantamount to denying the first of the Ten Commandments. Oh, my goodness. Because, you know, the first of the Ten Commandments says, Anoki Hashem. Amen. Yes. I wrote myself down and gave it to you. Gave it to you, gave it to Moshe, who gave it to you, and yes, Ken. Wow. So that was definitely the first thing that uh, uppercut me, Baja Torm, violently. Uh, just, just did that to me. And so, so uh, you know, I'm thinking about the Or Hakaim and how he said that Hashem uttered all of the ten mitzvot in the first statement that he made. Right. So we're talking about here that Korach's assembly came against the Ten Commandments because they came against the first statement because they came against Moshe. Ken. Wow. Ken. Exactly. Baal Torm. It's Baal Torm. This is, this is a, a Jewish text. Wow. Yeah. Um, rabbinic... <laughs> Rabbinic writing. Well, all right then. So that is the first drop, and it's it is, I mean, he comes out swinging. Bahatron come, definitely comes out swinging this week, <laughs> like he always does. Yeah, that's that's incredible. <laughs> I'm uh, actually having some trouble over here because apparently. Chapter 17 is supposed to be like 20-something verses. But if you look in the English text, it ends on verse 13. Say what? Yeah. Um, according to the, the Targum OG Onkelos, verse or chapter 17 is supposed to have 28 verses, not 13 verses. Whoa. Whoa. What? Yeah. I mean, what's your ball Haturim got in there? Let me check it out. I didn't even, didn't, was not aware. Okay, mine is past 13. Got 23, stops at 28. Okay. So, uh, whatever translation this is, let me try the New American State. Oh, my goodness. Yep, it's 13 verses. Okay, try. Okay, so, 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 try going to 18 and does it pick up on 14, basically on 17, 14? If, if it does, the verse 18. And that should start with the words. Let me find it. Those who died in the plague. Is that the beginning of 18? No. No? The beginning of 18 says, So Hashem said to Aharon. Wow. That's like a whole uh, chunk of Bible missing. Hashtag learn Hebrew. Well, you know, I bring that up. First of all, I'm kind of like blown away right now. But I'm going to pretend like I'm not. Because 
I'm looking over here in Onkelos, and he is commenting on verse 25. What does verse 25 say? You probably want to know since it's probably not in your Bible, right? So it says that Hashem said to Moshe, return the rod of Aharon before the testimony to be kept there as a sign to the rebellious people so that their murmurings before me may cease and that and they do not die. Now, with that being said, that verse sounds like, okay, cool, yeah, that's, that's great and all, but the phrase, their murmurings before me, that's not what the Hebrew says. Right. The Hebrew says, their murmurings may Ali up on me. Wait, I thought they were coming against Moshe. That's what I'm that's what I'm saying. So at this particular point, this is after Hashem has shown that he has chosen rightly the tribe of Levi to be the Kohanim and the Levites, and namely that he's chosen Aharon to be the Kohen, and namely that Moshe and Aharon are valid leaders of the community. And furthermore, it's all about Aharon's staff, because that's one of the, the three things that's kept in the ark as a, as a testimony. Yes. Because, yeah. so, so now the testimony is the staff, it's also the tablets, and it's also the manna. And if you remember, Shoresh brings down through his crazy root system, that these three things are mirror reflections of the gematria of Mashiach. Wow. So the testimony that is in the Ark of the of Hashem, or the, the testimony that is in the Ark of the Holy of Holies, is Mashiach. Like he is the testimony of Hashem. And so I'm just kind of looking at this. I'm like, so. When Hashem says that there are murmurings up on me, talking about the staff, I mean, I was just kind of like, wow. So the testimony of Hashem being murmured against is directed at him. Like, I just don't know what to do with that right now. That's just crazy. Well, we said, I don't key. I wrote myself down and gave it to you. Man. Wow, because the tablets are in there. That's him written down. Then the staff, because the because okay, so check out, check this out about the staff. So in verse seventeen, it's talking about the staffs, and the commentary on it, it says it's customary. Uh, it was the customary use of the princes to have these staffs. And it says that, you know, if we go all the way back to Shemot 12, 11, the Israelites who were about to exit Mitzrayim were instructed to have their loins girded, sandals on their feet, and rods in their hands. Then it says later on, it is also possible that the staff was a common work tool for the shepherds. And we know Mashiach is called the great shepherd. 
And then it says, this is used to direct animals and it's for defense against invading beasts. So the staff is like a comforter and it's also a protector. And then it says that leaders may also have used the staff as a sign of authority akin to the scepter of a king. Mm. So really we're looking at Mashiach, who's the bread from heaven, which would be manna, who is Hashem written down, which is the tablet, and the staff that is in his hand, which is Aharon's staff. And the gematria for all that equals Mashiach. Right. So is it Hashem or is it Mashiach? Yes. <laughs> and not to mention the big green book, I believe it's Tehillim 110 or 100, somewhere around there. It was talking about Moshe's staff versus Aharon's staff. And it's like the commentary couldn't figure out if it was Moshe's or if it was Aharon's. And so it was like Moshe's and Aharon's staff were two different staffs, but they were really one staff. And namely that this staff is going to be in the hand of Mashiach. So I believe it's 110. So I'm going to go there real quick, but I don't know. I was literally just kind of, struck by just kind of going through here and just seeing that first of all this is probably not in most bibles and then second of all like Hashem is saying that the murmurings and the complaints are against him it's not even against Moshe and Aharon so that's intense Okay, it is Tehillim 110, it's verse 2, it's on 226B. I just, I, yeah, I just saw it. Okay. And it says, from Yehuda to Mashiach. Turn there. Okay. This says from you. So this is Kechot Tehalim 1102226B. It says from Yehuda to Mashiach, Aharon's staff upon which almonds miraculously grew, which is mentioned in this week's Torah portion, was the staff of Yehuda. Others say it was the staff of Moshe. This staff was then kept in the temple until the latter was destroyed, at which time it was hidden away. See, see Yoma 52b. In the future, this staff will be in the hand of Mashiach. May his arrival occur speedily in our days. Amen. Amen. As it is written, God will send the staff of your strength from Zion. Rule confidently amid your enemies. Bami Bar Rabbah 1823. Then it just kind of goes from there. You want me to keep reading? No, uh, I think that, I mean, that was really the point I was wanting to kind of highlight because what is the tribe of Levi doing with the king's scepter? Because the scepter is not supposed to depart from Yehuda. 
Right. But really, this is a rhetorical question because remember, Yehuda and Levi were married because of Caleb and Miriam. Snap. Which their offspring was her and her his offspring was Bezalel and Bezalel's offspring was the Mishkan. What? You just what? what? Yeah, I went there. Yeah, you just went there. I just you had to it. finish the, the whole connection, the pattern, because really Bezalel, you know, was given all the secrets to the Aleph Tav and that's how he was able to build the Mishkan because Everything that Hashem gave to Moshe for building the tabernacle, it was just like, okay, I'm supposed to go find people to do this. And it's like, yeah, Bezalel and Aholiav. You know, and let's not forget Bezalel, his name literally means in the shadow of El. So wow. he took the olive tav and constructed the Mishkan. So the connection of Yehuda, the connection of Yehuda and Levi equals the tabernacle. So that I don't know. So that's that's um to to the listeners. Um uh, because they've been hearing me say this throughout the week on my drashes that I've always wanted to do a drosh called staff meeting. So there we go. <laughs> There's the staff meeting drosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. I'll see you. I see what you did there. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Um, so I don't know if you've gotten to hear any of the other reports, but uh, I shared your Portals to Gehenna drop. I shared your uh, your Korak and his 250 men being like warriors of Torah. Yeah, they were. If, if I can just say real quick, it was actually saying that they were like they were basically the ha, the Hachamim. So it would basically be like it basically right be uh, equivalent to right now getting all the top rabbis and. There are 250 of the top rabbis and going against Moshe. Like, the, the, that's like on the level of extremeness of what was going on. You know what I mean? Like, that's to me, that's just kind of like, like, you know, you kind of, you kind of think like, oh man, these guys are like, you know, not, not smart doing this, you know, which is, which really wasn't really a smart move. But right. these guys, these men were really, really wise. And and I even heard you say, you know, this is a picture of the the Pharisees and the Sadducees contesting Mashiach. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the other cor the correlation. Uh, wow. That, that uh, I kind of made this. I actually, it's kind of just, uh, you know, just. Just hearing you guys drosh about it was just like it just made sense to me that man, this is totally like the Sadducees coming against Yeshua. Like they're like, like, are you really Mashiach? 
and they come and put, ask him question after question, and he's like, uh, is it, would it be better for me to tell you that I'm a Shiite, or is it better for me to tell you that this man is, is forgiven and healed from uh, from his sins, you know, and then he could tell him to get him a walk, you know? Dude. It's like... Well, um, to that point, just to kind of drop a few soy- sources, <laughs> just to drop a few sources. Sources. <laughs> okay. I got some sources for you. All of a sudden, I'm Ashkenazi over here. Um, Luke 14.3 says, experts in the law ask Mashiach if, he's, if it's lawful to heal on Shabbat. Right. Uh, Luke 7 verse 30, experts in the law. Uh, let's see. I want to get the full meaning. It says, but the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been mikvahed by Yochanan. Wow. And that's a parenthetical statement. So here we go again. (laughs) So first of all, let me expand this chapter out because this is kind of crazy right now. Parenthetical statements, man. What's the deal? Okay. So, they said, uh, let's see. When when the messengers of Yochanan, I'm starting in verse 24. When the messengers of Yochanan left, he began to speak to the crowds about Yochanan. So, this is when Mashiach was sent uh, messengers from Yochanan while Yochanan was in prison. Saying, you know, are, are you the Mashiach or should we expect something else? Tell him that the lame walk and the, the blind see and yep. yeah, yeah, all, yeah, all that good stuff. And by the way, I just want to point out because it kind of caught my eye. Uh, verse 22 says that the lepers are cleansed. Which is to a point uh, a very powerful statement because leprosy wasn't ever really cleansed per se. Because it was all from the uh, the judgment or the mouth of the of the Cohen, you know. So it wasn't really like leprosy was like literally healed, like as far as like a touch or a a speaking of a word over someone, as much as it was of an examination by the by the Cohen and Hashem. Yeah, it, was just, it was just a diagnosis. It was just a diagnosis. Right. But with Mashiach, it was like, no, you're cleansed. Now go present yourself. Which, I mean, if you really think about how powerful that is, it's kind of like, I'm going to heal you beyond being examined. Like, I'm going to heal you before you can even be examined. Like, that's crazy. Wow. But, um, verse 24, it says, what did you see when you went out into the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind, verse 25. But what did you go out and see? A man dressed in soft clothing, those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it's written, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Now that's from Malachi, and that's a specific reference to Eliyahu. So he just called Yochanan Eliyahu, so there's that. 
uh, who's a Kabbalist now, right? <laughs> I mean, it's right, yeah. it's right here in the Vasor. It's just like, oh, okay. That's how we wrote. What, what chapter are you in? Luke 7. All right, I'm on verse 28 right now. Then he says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than Yochanan. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Another powerful statement that I just don't know what to do with right now. That's just all my word. <laughs> it's like, there's no one greater than this guy, but yet least in the kingdom, then you're greater than him. Right. Wow. So that only makes me just want to state the obvious that Korok and his 250 people, they're actually like, they're super great, but like, they're not anything because of how great they are with their accolades. Like, as far as how in order to be the greatest, you have to be the least. So they're making themselves out to be the most, which would absolutely make them nothing. Because it's all about humility. It's all about being the least in the kingdom. So there's that. And then it says, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice. Having been mikvahed with the mikvah of Yochanan, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been mikvahed by Yochanan. So even in this verse, in verse 30, it's using people who are experts in Torah, like Korah type people. All right. I got I to gotta share this because I'm in the OJB. Get you some. Okay, so this says this says that they acknowledge the righteousness of God, having been submitted to the tevila of teshuva of Yochanan. Wow. So, wow. That that right there, my friends, is not a parenthetical statement. That is mm-hmm. literally what the text says: tevila of teshuva of Yochanan. It says it twice. Dude, these translations are like crazy. Like, <laughs> it's like, just get down to the like interlinear and just like go there. Because if you try to do any of these other things, I mean, you just get so thrown off. So, Tildar Rabah for bringing that in there. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know how we got there, but uh, that was just a whole thing about experts, people who think they know it all. Oh, we were talking about the, the, the 250 men with Korach were, were experts. Right. Wise Torah scholars. Rukashem. All right. Oh, I have a drop on Torah scholars, if I may. Yes. All right, I'm going to go on my art gallery here because I took a picture of this. This is from... The Midrash of Mishle. Snap. That's that's a, that's a dangerous source. I've come to find out. Yeah, I'm I'm calling this the Little Blue Book. <laughs> so okay. it's um 
Let me make sure I'm in the right chapter first. I think it's chapter 18. This all started from Ish Hasid, by the way, because his little violent self. Oh, it's chapter 19. Well, you're talking about, uh, okay. Wow. Yeah, Batman. Yeah, I know you're talking yeah. about. Young Batman decided to drop this because uh, he said, you know, if you really look at Mishle, um, yeah, he was in Proverbs. Like he was, like, it's funny. It's funny. He was telling me today. He was telling me today, like earlier today. Like they, he's like, hey, if you look at Proverbs, and he was just telling me. But I, I'm sure it's what you're gonna share is probably the same thing. I think he did send this to you. So go ahead and drop it. All right, uh, I'm in 19, but I feel like it's 18. Let me go back a little bit. Yep, it is. It's uh, Mishle 18. The specific commentary I'm mentioning is in uh, verse 22. And verse 22 says, One who has found a wife has found goodness and has brought forth favor from Hashem. Now, okay, wait, Sleeka, not that verse. That's okay. Uh, okay. It's fitting you drop that verse because... But uh, like I said, we, we remember how I tabbed the children of Israel, the men, right? Oh, go ahead, go, go, go. Let, I, I just, I need to, I need to brag about the righteous women of Klau Israel, aka the, the House of Israel. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, because uh, Rabbi. So. When you say Bet Yisrael, you're talking about the women of Yisrael? Yes, and I have a source. I have a source. I have a source. It's, it's many sources, but uh, it's in the Green Book as well because Rabbi was, was dropping from uh, Psalm 98, which – so I'm just going to lay this out there, and it's going to be what's going to be, and the fallout will be with those who have a problem with it. Yeah, there's a lot of that going around this week. <laughs> so uh, it says, look, this psalm, Rabbi Rabbi Griffin was was uh, was sharing from his his Tehillim commentary, the article Tehillim commentary, which was fascinating. It, that this Psalm 98 is actually a psalm of uh, of the orphans, is what he was saying, and this is also the this is also the psalm that we're going to sing in the the coming of the messianic age when when the redemption finally occurs this is the song this will be the tenth song we break out and sing together all good night so and the green book confirms that so you have two sources on that wow it says it says at the time of the redemption we will sing to god a new song for the wonders he will perform and it says, at the Exodus, the Israelites sang only after they emerged from the sea and witnessed the defeat of Egypt. Their faith was not strong enough for them to sing immediately upon hearing God's promise that the sea would split. The Torah thus relates that after they passed through the sea and saw the defeat of Mitzrayim, they believed in God and in Moshe, his servant. Then did Moshe and the children of Israel sing this song. So Moses and the men sang this song. Only after the fulfillment of God's promise did Moshe consider them to be ready to sing the song. 
the women. Shout out to all the colors, all the women, all the righteous women out there. The women, by contrast, demonstrated complete trust in God's promise. In anticipation of being saved, they brought, they took instruments with them to celebrate their promised redemption. And physically, men are the stronger gender. gender. Sorry, Sliga. The Torah therefore uses masculine terminology to allude to strength and the feminine to allude to weakness. So it's talking about the grammar. Masculine, a masculine uh, grammar denotes strength and and the feminine denotes a weakness, so to speak, is what this is saying. It says, since the men demonstrated weakness in their faith, their song at the sea is called Hashira Hazot. This song in verse 15.1, Exodus 15.1, which is the feminine form of the verbiage. The women, by contrast, are referred to with the male pronoun in the verse in the, in the same, same chapter, 15, verse 21. And Miriam called to them, i.e. to the women, to them in reference to women should be lahen. Instead, the verse has lahem alluding to their strength of their faith. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Let me get there. Turn the page. Oh my goodness. As the present verse speaks of a new song using the masculine form, Shir Hadash, instead of Shir Hadasha. In the future, our faith will be strong. And as soon as we are about, as soon as we are, we are, we hear about the coming redemption, we will begin to sing to God in anticipation. Dude. <laughs> All right. Selah. Selah. <laughs> man, it actually keeps going, but I'm just going to stop there for now because I, I will rabbit trail. And... <sighs> okay. So, tag, I agree. Okay, so in the Midrash Mishle, it says, A good wife will aid him. He has brought forth favor from Hashem because her presence will prevent him from sinning. So if we ever uh, didn't think that women are zitzit, there you go. Then, uh, that's from the Mizudot, by the way. Then it says, she will encourage him to do good. Okay, so now we're just going to double down on that. So now we got three references, by, three witnesses. Because, first of all, you said this a little bit ago in your violent outbreak, that Rabbi Griffin is now a source. Like, he just got, like, upgraded. Like, he's in the <laughs> codifications. Like, Rabbi Griffin said, therefore, it's valid. So... You know, Mazalto, Rabbi Griffin, get you some, a.k.a. Rob Lapid, a.k.a. Captain Yisrael. All right, so now we got three witnesses that women are zitzit because Mishle 18, verse 22 in the Midrash says that she will, her presence will keep the husband from sinning. And then it says that she will be an aid to him. And then we can do the homiletic on aid in the English that aid is also how you say witness, like edut, witnesses. Mm. And then um, 
It also says that her presence will keep him from sinning and she will encourage him to do good. And like, if you think about the Zizit, they're an encouragement, they're reminders, they're an aid for us. So, I mean, like all that, but then it keeps going. She will encourage, or I said that already. I don't know how many times I say that. But um, the idea is based on the Talmudic dictum that a man without a wife lacks joy, blessing, goodness, Torah, shalom, and a wall of protection against sin. Yevamot 62b. So to the Asha's Chayil, that's legit. Hey, I even believe the Zohar even adds more to that. There's a Zohar drop as well that adds even like five more things to what you just said. Good night. Well, let's add to that with some Tana Deve Eliyahu Rabbah. Chapter 18 also understands the Isha, the woman who we're also calling Bait, the house, to refer to Torah. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Like, I don't even know what's happening right now. It says, a Torah scholar has the power to evoke favor from Hashem through prayer. When necessary, he can bring rain. So, it's written in Yaakov that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Well, that's because... He is a man of Torah, which means he's a husband. Then it says, this is a part I really like because this kind of connects to the, uh, it correlates to the parasha. Uh, Yeah, you did such a good job with that pun that I'm just going to borrow it. Okay, so as an example of such a wife, the Midrash mentions Abigail whose great wisdom saved David from taking violent action against her evil husband, Nabal. First Shamuel chapter 25. Then, this guy is only mentioned in the first verse of the parasha. The wife of On, son of Pelet, is also credited with saving her husband by keeping him from joining Korach's ill-fated Rebellion, which is really cool. Okay, so Sanhedrin 109b is a source on that. But it's really cool because it it's like she already knew that this was not going to work out very well. Kind of like she kind of knew the end from the beginning. Right. Like, like a Torah would, you know? So, I mean, I just think it's interesting. She probably stayed up all night singing the hello, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> Good night. And I mean, also, too, just to kind of tag some extra uh, information in right here with Midrash, that according to the Midrash, get you some, that um, Korah, or during the, uh, the, the drop zone event, where the pit was opened up and the mouth opened up and uh, ate, you know, Korah and his whole rebellion. So, Own's bed was actually drifting towards that opening. But it was only because Own's wife grabbed his bed and like held onto it and prayed to Hashem. She kept him from the pit through her prayers. 
and holding on to his bedpost because she because remember the whole backstory is that he comes home is like yeah you know tomorrow we're gonna have a showdown uh at the staff meeting and we're gonna have a bunch of sensors and all this kind of stuff and fire pans and you know we're really gonna just kind of take over Moshe and Aharon don't know what they're doing so we're gonna help them out and she's just like no you're not gonna do that and he's like well I have to I told him my yes is yes you know and she's just like don't worry I'll take care of it drink some wine have a nice meal and he falls asleep and he sleep through the whole episode so like even when the uh, the punishment goes forth he's still in jeopardy and had it not been for his wife holding on to his bed and praying for him I mean he would have perished so not only did she um, take care of him to uh, absolve his vow to be a part of their group, but even when they showed up to get him, she disgraced herself by uh, being in the entrance of her tent with her hair down and with a sleeveless shirt, you know, and the, the men walk up and they're like, whoa, and they divert their eyes, you know, and then on top of that, she holds onto his bed and prays for him. Like, that's a whole lot of, like, help, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so. I was just thinking about all that. So to kind of go back to my original <laughs> intention here for... Uh... I got I got tag. Okay, go ahead. I got one more drop. <laughs> Because I was on the page and then I, I forgot it said this. So. Man, I can't even look at anything in this book. Everything is so violent. Okay, so this is what it says. This is what it says. So talking about the uh, the righteous women. Yeah. Okay. So same Psalm 98, 98, 3. He recalled his kindness that he had promised and his faithfulness toward the house of Israel. Psalm 98.3 says, only in the merit of the righteous women will the redemption come. As it is written, he recalled his kindness and his faithfulness toward the house of Israel. The psalmist does not speak of the children of Israel, but the house of Israel, an allusion to the righteous woman. women. Sorry, That is Midras Zuta, root four. So the woman is the house, and the woman is a Torah. The woman is a zitzit. <sighs> okay. So we need to make sure that uh, pretty much that men are married so that we can have some righteous women. Women. <laughs> men are married to women. Right. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. You're helping the uh, the world out for thinking that Marriage can be something else. So let it be known that ma marriage is man and woman. It's not my opinion. It is what is written. Oh, you just pulled a it is written card. Oh, my goodness. It is written. All right. So here's what attacked me while I was trying to go back to my point. Mishle 18.4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, 
the wellspring of wisdom is like a flowing stream. The word ish, which is the word for man, refers specifically to a man of outstanding ability. In this case, a wise person whose words are deep and not always easily grasped. That's Rashi. But here's what got me. And therefore, the listener must delve deeply into them, even when the wise man seems to be repeating himself. It is to live forever. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Where am I? No, it's not. It's not to live forever. Sleek out. Or is it? Page just changed. Where do I go from here? Oh, okay. It is to clarify nuances. Okay. So that means what I was trying to read was verse 10. Oh, my goodness. Sleek out. <laughs> verse 10 says, The name of Hashem is a tower of strength. With it, a righteous man will run and be strong. There we go. A person in need of refuge seeks shelter in an, in an impregnable tower. The greatest tower, King Shlomo teaches is trust in Hashem. That's a strong tower. That's when you trust in Hashem. No material barrier. Are you quoting the beer cot right now? Yeah. <laughs> Get you some. Okay, so, man, that's incredible. Okay, so it says that no material barrier can provide complete protection from an enemy and a human protector will not live forever but a person who places himself completely in Hashem's hands has nothing to fear that's from Rabbeinu Bakia so okay so that's that but what I was trying to get to is verse uh, let me make sure I don't want to misquote any more verses so dangerous around here. It's like trying to walk without falling into stuff. Uh, 17, 18. Okay, so it is verse 16. Verse 16 says, A man's gift brought into access for him and before the great. Homiletically, in the world to come, Hashem will cast the same canopy over Torah scholars as over those who performed mitzvot. Yerushalayim Talmud Sota 7.4 Accordingly, those who support Torah scholars will sit next to them, but if they themselves are ignorant... Won't they become or won't they be distressed that they cannot understand the scholars? And this is probably why I read from the verse that talks about the man's words or wellspring, because check this out. The sages tell us that, in fact, these ignorant people that are sitting next to Torah scholars will be transformed, will be transformed into scholars on par with those whom they had supported. And that's from Chomas Anach. 
Now, that really stood out to me because it's basically saying the Torah scholar that you link and attach yourself to, they're like a canopy over you and you will be transformed by being around them, by sitting underneath their teaching and that you will be transformed into scholars that are on par with the ones that you support. Wow. This is where it comes into play with not only Lapid, but with uh, the precedent that is set in the book of or the writings of Acts, where Kepha and Yochanan are like testifying, and the Sanhedrin is looking at them like, what yeshiva did y'all go to? And it's like, oh, Yeshua, that's where we went. And they're like, wait, what? Because, like, y'all weren't trained, so, like, how in the world do y'all know all this? And it's like, did they not sit underneath the teachings of Mashiach Yeshua? They were transformed into scholars with the one, like, literally on the level of the one that they supported. Like, again, it is enough that a Talmud is like his rabbi. So I'm just thinking about like how we as Lapid, like we're we're just like a bunch of, you know, not trying to be offensive, but we're like a bunch of ignorant people. And Hashem and his mercy has shined Torah on us. We've attached ourselves to Mashiach, which is attaching to Hashem. And it's like Hashem is like, you know what? Because you have accepted my Torah, because you have received my son, because you have been filled with my Ruach HaKodesh, I'm now going to transform you into Torah scholars. Wow. Like, that is mind-boggling. Because we haven't gone to the, the yeshiva academies that exist in the world today. But yet, the things that we're being shown, the things that we're allowed to midrash is just like what in the world <laughs> but it's because we're transformed to the level of the Torah scholar that we support and let it be known that Lapid we are Talmudim of Mashiach Yeshua Amen. you know Rabbi Griffin is our rabbi and that's because his rabbi is Mashiach Yeshua. And just because, you know, just to kind of back that up some more, Shaul himself even says, follow me as I follow Mashiach. You know, and so we're going to receive that anointing because we're sitting underneath that line of teaching. So when you really think about the semantics of does he have a shmika? You know, who does Lapid think they are? You know, who are we as Avengers to be going around dropping all these bombs? It's like, uh, yeah, we follow Mashiach. So that's the Torah that we support. And uh, he's transformed us. So get you some. Wow. Anyway, I just uh, I just read that earlier today, and I was like, "Oh my word!" Like that's humbling. 
Yeah, I think the other the other takeaway from this tour portion, and kind of kind of just going back to even last week's tour portion about uh, the spies, the sin of the spies, and the and the the sin of uh, the sin of Korach and the two hundred fifty uh, people that were with him. You know, I think I think for the most part. It's real easy to read the Torah, and especially if you're a if you if if you just come out if you come in from not knowing anything about Torah and you just read it, you'd be like, man, these people make no sense. Why are they? Why do they keep doing this? Why do they keep making these mistakes? Why do they keep? Why do they keep falling? Why do they keep erring? You know, why do they keep falling into error? Right. Uh, I would submit that um, it is is we have to kind of take a step back and analyze our own lives because we, for the most part, if if we're looking at it and we're like, man, why 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 can't they get it? Why are they so uh, you know, like that's the thing we need to most pay attention to. You know what I mean? Like, I agree. Because that's that's the that is what we see. We see the error in them reading the Torah, but it's basically what we see in ourselves. I mean, we only see what's wrong with ourselves. You know? Um, Can you repeat that statement? Because that right there is a get you some statement. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, that's literally. I mean, if we we don't like it. We don't we really don't like it. I mean, when I see when I see it, I'm like, man, no, don't don't show me that. I don't want to look at it. But it's like, ah, oh, I gotta I gotta deal with this. I have to de- I have to deal with this sin. You know, it's it's a it's a real, real real problem. We need to bring it to a sham, and we need to bring it correctly. Uh, and, <laughs> and and you know what we see. What we see that bothers us about the Torah, when we see the children of Israel committing all these sins, and they're they're going astray from the from the ways of Hashem, from the ways of Moshe, it's really something that's that's deeply, deeply within our souls, subconsciously, whether whether we know it or whether we don't know it, it's something that was really wrong with us, you know. So we see their error, but it's really our error, you know. Do you know that you're elucidating? Uh, Yaakov's writing in the in the Brit Hadashah, where he says that, you know, when we look into the Torah, it's like looking into a mirror. Yeah, I mean, so literally, like all these quote unquote failures of the people to really trust Hashem, which is really what it all hinges on. Yeah, it's really it's really our failure because I mean, I, I just kind of uh, you know not to not to get personal, but last week with the sin of, with the sin of the spies. I was kind of going through a uh, immuno crisis, I guess, if you want to, if you want to call it that. But uh, I got to reading the Torah portion, and I read it, and I, you know, just what was going on at that time, and what was going through my head, and after reading the Torah portion, it dawned on me, and I turned to my wife and I tell her, I said, "The land is flowing with milk and honey. Like, we need to be, we need to be like." Yehoshua and Caleb and not be like the other the other spies, the other ten spies, because then then we're saying that Hashem can't bring us into the land flowing with milk and honey. 
like we need not to be those people, you know, even though we're acting like those people right now, you know. Uh, Good night. So, but it was definitely, it was definitely uplifting. It was definitely um, just kind of uh, like Hashem was kind of showing me like, okay, look, this is, this is what you're doing wrong, you know. Wow. That's what it needs to be like every week. So. I mean, you know, and I I will tag and agree with that. And this is actually a support tag is that, you know, when I was talking with the Zadaka League, you know, uh, I was saying, you know, we really uh, have such a power source to tap into with Lapid. Like, first of all, we literally have the power to bring the redemption. But the redemption has has got to start in our own tents. Because the whole thing about Hashem dwelling amongst the people with the Mishkan being in the center, like Hashem ultimately wants to dwell in every household of the children of Israel. So the household of every Jew, that's where Hashem wants to be. Namely why the firstborns were supposed to be originally, they were originally before the golden calf. They were the Kohanim, like they were the Kohen. So you would literally go to every home and there would be a Kohen Gadol in that house because each house is considered a temple. So, or a Mishkan or a Mikdash. So literally you have a bunch of Mikdashes, Mikdashim, but it's one Mikdash, even though it's a whole lot of them, you know? And so that's, that's the beautifulness of Hashem and the purpose of Mashiach is to get us back to that state, that transcendent state of, of what you're talking about, you know, but I'm going to let you continue. Yeah. So I was saying we need to, we, have got to tap into that, you know, and one of the Zadaka League members, you know, tagged in and was like, yeah, so like that means we should be like spreading, you know, the the redemption, you know, if it starts at home, like, you know, we should be overflowing in that we should be showing that modeling that, you know, encouraging that kind of thing. And so I'm like, man, we have to tap into this and like, bring it you know because if we're if we're doing that Hashem is gonna you know meet a connected meter he's like oh you think you can bring a redemption I'll show you a redemption you know and so I'm like we're in Tammuz right now and we're headed towards the three weeks which are typically a three weeks of mourning but the the beauty of Mashiach is that our mourning is turned to joy so literally, we're on the, the verge of having this opportunity to overthrow mourning and cause it to be joy because the thing that overturns past sins and failures into merits is Teshuvah. Yes. And, so, and tag after you finish your statement. So literally through our Teshuvah, we can turn Tammuz and Av and these three weeks into a most powerful and incredible time for creation. 
But it's like, will we do it? Will we tap into that? Will we truly make the shuba? Will we truly trust the Shem? And I'm going to throw my staff in there and be like, yes, please, Hashem, help my faith. That's all I got on that. Amen. Amen. It's beautiful. Uh, so you mentioned Teshuva. And so this is kind of what I want to touch. This is the other thing in the portion that kind of spoke to me this week in the Baha Torah that led me to the Green Book, which I haven't really got to the, this week's Tehillim yet. Neither have I, man. I don't know. I've been stuck in Ankylos world. <laughs> well, no, that, well, that's what I'm talking about. The Blue Book led me to the this week's Tehillim, which we haven't wow. talked about just yet, but um, there's right the Shem. We're about to get to it. We're about to get to it. So it says, the people who were with Korach, says the final letters of this verse in, revor- in reverse order, spell Herem, condemned. This teaches that they were condemned because they were joined with Korach. Now, these same letters could be rearranged to Rachem, to mercy. And so you kind of see a picture of condemned or mercy. And it's like, well, how do you, you know, why? You take you know, condemnation why, why? to To mercy. mercy, right, right. How do you do that? How do you go from condemned to having... Hashem's mercy. Well, let's let's talk about how we do that, because in the in the next verse, or in the footnotes, I should say, let me go to it. I gotta find it. I gotta find it. How do we turn condemnation into mercy? That, oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, here we go. It says, you will perish. So this is a footnote on, on you will perish. The, the, he's talking about this word means that it lets you perish because of all of the sins. Uh, but if you act wickedly, both you and your king will perish, First Samuel 12, 25. This is the similar expression in the case that Moshe told them that if they would not repent, they would die. They and Korach, their leader. It says at first glance, the Baha Torah seems to add nothing to the simple meaning of the passage. If they do not repent, they will die. At a closer look, however, the Baha Torah adds an important, an important point. If they, i.e. the assembly, would not repent, they would die. They and Korach, even if he repented because he was their leader and so must suffer the consequence of their action. So I'll say all that because I'm saying that because they did not make teshuva. They did not, obviously we read later that they get swallowed up by the earth and die. Uh, In comes the green book. But did you just say that if Korok were to repent, they would have repented? Yes. Some, like, something, to, something to that effect. I mean, Baha Torah, it's, it's not quite so clear in the Baha Torah. It says that he's adding an important point. He says, if they, i.e. the assembly, would not repent, they would die. They, in Korach, even if he repented because he was their leader. So saying that if Korach, if even Korach just repented by himself, it would have it been repentance for the, for the whole entire assembly. But... Okay, tab that. Tab. We're going to tab that. And, say, and, and, so they, and so they did it. 
some must suffer the consequence of their action. Mm-hmm. Have that. Mm-hmm. Okay, enter Psalm 5. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful psalm. If you read it, it literally is like you can read it and it's just you just see the, the parasha in play. It's it's I mean, seriously, bless Hashem bless the rabbi who corresponded and correlated these psalms to the portions because they're they are phenomenal. <laughs> you are crazy right now. <laughs> but it literally says it says you are not a God who desires wickedness. It says evil does not abide with you. It says the Talmud connects this verse to the idea that we should not wish for our fellow to be punished by God for harming or offending us. You know, I, I feel like Shiak said something similar to that. For when punish yeah. for when punishment is meted out on our account, although deservedly so, we experience a distancing from God. For evil does not abide with you. Any type of negativity, including just punishment, is distant from God. That is from Shabbat 149b. Accordingly, there is a custom to forgive every person before retiring each night, as as well as the prayer that no person be punished on my account. Oh, my goodness. But if the punishment is just, why may we not urge it? The Samach Sedek explains by way of introduction. By the strict rules of logic and justice, there ought to be no second chances. So on the strict side of Gravura, there's no second chances. Certainly not without some form of expiation, as the Midrash relates. The attributes of wisdom, prophecy, and Torah were all asked, what is the sinner's punishment? Now, this is really beautiful because if y'all have never heard this before, this is this is this is kind of one of my favorite things that I've ever come across in all Midrashim. Wisdom said evil pursues the sinner. Prophecy said the soul that sins shall perish. The Torah said, let him bring a sacrifice and be atoned for. And finally, the Holy One blessed be he was asked, What is the sinner's punishment? He answered. Let the sinner repent, and he will find atonement. It says, uh, God affords us the ability to become whole with him as we were prior to sin. Through awakening our hearts to teshuva, sincere repentance, as the Midrash implies, only God can grant us this ability since he transcends all qualities, even the holy qualities of wisdom, prophecy and Torah in Kabbalah in Kabbalah this level is called Atik meaning ancient or detached or transcendent any three of those words this is the same level ancient detached transcendence beyond it's 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 in days of old and in former years type of thing oh my goodness goodness. the attribute of justice as well through sincere teshuva we can connect to this aspect of divinity and thereby fix our misdeeds without atonement. In the words of the Zohar, there is no left in this atika, left being the side associated with judgment, meaning that this transcendence, there is there is no strict justice. It says that the atik state of the state consists of absolute goodness without any sort of negativity. 
even that of judgment or punishment necessary for our world to function, where judgment or punishment does exist, we must say that the ancient or detached or transcendent state of ultimate goodness is hidden and suppressed. Hence, for example, God does not refer to the second day of creation as good, for it was the day that the divine concealment and punishment was introduced. So to answer our original question for why even deserve punishment is not desirable, if someone is punished on our urging, that means the, the transcendence the, the, of God's ultimate goodness has been suppressed on our account, and we are bound to be affected accordingly. We therefore forgive every offense before retiring at night and ask God not to punish anyone on our account. And we then draw upon ourselves the absolute goodness that transcends all else. I have one more thing and I'm going to let you tag because in this psalm, it doesn't necessarily say it, but when you read the Ivrit, when you read the Ivrit, I love, gotta love the Ivrit. It literally says, it says, uh, Listen to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Psalm 5.3. Le ko shui. Oh, no, no, you're not about to do this right now. Le ko shui. Oh, gosh. So when we cry, when, oh. when we cry out to my King, my God, for to you I pray. When he hears our voice, when we when we sincerely are reaching for this teshuva, it is with Yeshua. It is the Yod, Sheen, Vav, Ain, the voice. This is what he responds to our outcry with. When we sincerely make teshuva, he responds with Yeshua. So that's that's what I had to share from the Green Book. That's what. Uh, that wasn't in any of the commentary. It was just what stuck out to me, and it was, it was just incredible. It was, uh, it's just it's just beautiful. There was a uh, another drop at the end of '98 that uh, I'll have to share another time. But I mean, that's another time. Uh, you might want to cue that up. Okay, I'll cue it up. Uh -huh. I'm gonna give you some time because my tag is definitely. I agree. I dig it with two shovels at the same time. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Dude, you just found the voice of Yeshua being my king and my God in yeah. the Hebrew. Like, what is wrong with you? That's in the Hebrew of that verse. Like, what? Second of all, when you were dropping all this in the commentary and you said that if we urge justice and judgment and punishment to go forth, we're suppressing the transcendence of the Yod and Hay with the Vob and Hay. Yeah. And then you're dropping stuff, huh? No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Then you're dropping stuff about Atik, which Benny B. I can't even remember which parasha he dropped this in, but he says in there from the source, Mashiach, who, what, when, and where, that Atik is where the crucifixion of Mashiach takes place. Uh, that's 
that is the source and that is the level of the authority of the crucifixion, which is man, which is by the way the Akida as well. I mean, which in my previous drosh, shameless plug, corruption. In there, it drops that the Mila of Avraham on Yom Kippur is on the same level with the Akidah. So now, you got the circumcision, the sacrifice of the son, and the sacrifice of the lamb who was slain before the foundations. All of those are like circled and placed in this area of Atik. And it is in the transcendent level of Hashem's name. And as that in right there. Former years. Do what? As in days of old and in former years. And and then you drop that phrase on there. So I'm like, what we're talking about right now is beyond time, beyond space, beyond creation. And that's why Teshuvah is so powerful because that's the area that we're going into to cause the fabric of reality as we know it to be overturned or to be changed or to be altered or to be rearranged like the letters of the Torah when Adam and Hava ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The letters of Torah literally rearrange themselves. That's from the Messiah text. So is it any wonder that our teshuva and our accepting of the sacrifice, and yes, I'm talking about circumcision. Yes, I'm talking about the Akidah of Mashiach and of Yitzhak. Oh, the, the other cool thing about this, this Tehillim, and it actually has the, uh, the, the, the other half of the Matovu prayer we do in, uh, in our Sidur. Oh, my Every, goodness. It has the... Uh, that's in verse This is this was a turned up Tehillim. I, I absolutely love. It. I I didn't know what to expect at the beginning of the week when I was reading it, and then I just kept like chewing on it all week, and was like, "Oh my goodness!" Okay, this is this is a lot. So to go along with this same theme, I have a double tag because <laughs> I want to get back to our tab about if Korak would have made Teshuva his whole little sect or whatever would have made Teshuvah and they wouldn't have even perished. So I want to, that's my goal to get back to that. Okay. And my double tag is from the same source. Okay. So before you do that, can I drop the one last thing that was going to kind of tie the whole thing about, actually this answers the question of, you know, when somebody's eyes have been revealed to Yeshua and, and the Torah and Hashem and his truth, what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for your cousin or your mother and your brother and your whoever you know and all that kind of stuff? Because at the end of the last drop from in the, in the big green book 
from Psalm 98, which I'm, I'm, I'm really, and truthfully, I only got into this psalm because uh, Rabbi, Rabbi mentioned it uh, earlier. And so I just started reading and, and this, this is what I find. It says truth versus righteousness. This is if you want to if you want to read along, it's 193B in the green book. I'm there. It says truth versus versus righteousness. He will judge the nation nations with righteousness. It says at the end of Psalm 96, however, the psalm says that God will judge the nation with his truth. Why does the present verse state that God will judge the nation with righteousness? Uh-oh. It says God will judge the nations for two crimes. First, the oppression of the Jewish people, and the second, the rebellion against God. In administering justice for their crime against the Jewish people, God will follow strict justice. That whole, you know, this is not Atik, right? right? But it says he would judge the nations with his truth. That's, that's his demeaning. He was against his strict justice, his truth. But in punishing them for their sin against him, he will not hold them to, to, to what they deserve according to his truth. So he's not going to hold them against anything that to his strict justice. Says he will be more forgiving and judge them according to his righteousness. See Yerushalayim Talmud Rosh Hashanah 1-3. So. You know you got to read the footnote. <laughs> It says, oh, okay, okay, sorry, sorry. As we have seen in 96.10, Mesharim connotes be going beyond the letter of the law. Go beyond, go beyond. <laughs> Le'ela. Yeah. Wow. Le'ela. Hey. Oh. <laughs> wow. That was epic. Hashem is going to be more gracious and administering justice for the rebellion against him but he won't be for the the oppression of the jewish people man that's that's intense well i mean the the one i was reading it i was kind of reading it like okay he's gonna he's gonna list out what they did and what what they truly deserve and then he's gonna judge them according to his righteousness i mean it's 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 beautiful, you know? So, in other words, Hashem, in the end, is going to respond through his righteousness, which is beyond the letter of the law. Which is the atik we were talking about, the, uh, the transcendence. So, that makes me think that if Abraham believed Hashem and it was accredited to him as righteousness... Our imuna and Hashem by default means that we're beyond the letter of the law. Wow. Why? Because you've listened to my voice. Listen to my voice. Oh, listening to his voice takes you beyond the letter. Get out of here. <sighs> okay. So here's my double tag. I shared with you the link, and I don't know if you got to open it because you probably was assaulted by Bahaturim and the Big Green Book. Yeah. Some... But Shonuf Pinkus on Parsha Karak. Oh, my word. It's about to go down. <laughs> so I'm going to start with page three. And then I'm going to work my way back to page 
where are we at? Pay like I think like page two or something. So, but let me let me go to where I need to go so I don't get thrown off track. So here's the thing. So you know, mankind was created. We were brought forth from the dust of the earth by Hashem, right? Yes, Ken, I agree. And then he infused our body with his very breath, with his very essence, just like the essence that he infused into the Torah. Now, with that being said, here's what Shodanus Pincus decided to do and thought it was okay. He says on page three and the right column, he says, it is with great pleasure and delight that we will now delve into the words of Shev Shemateta. I've never heard of that source, but it exists. He says, this is the intro in 40. So intro 40 in this source. It says, he explains the remarks of the author of the Akidat Yitzak. <laughs> Okay, so he's just uh, bone-breaking even before he says anything. Yeah, because uh, that that's probably like my next my next source that I want to get. But Alright, so here he goes. So from that he says, the purpose of separating the body from the soul by explaining why Hakadosh Baruku created man as an amalgamation of body and neshama. The Torah describes the creation of man, Bereshit 2.17, and Hashem, God, formed man of the soil from the earth and blew into his nostrils the soul of life, and man became a living soul. Here is what he writes. When man was first created, when the creator assembled the various parts he apportioned him with the field general in charge of creation. He appointed him with the field general in charge of creation. He placed the intellectual soul within his household as the mistress in charge of the body. So when Hashem blew into our nostrils, what he blew into us was what should have con what should control our very body, like all of its members. Okay, so even though we're in a physical form, we're supposed to be driven by the spirit, or we're supposed to live by the spirit, or walk by the spirit. Then it says, of all its functions, would come and go according to her command. And it says, she did not venture into the midst of those bodily functions. The soul stood alone in its domain. The physical material functions stood alone accordingly, according or correspondingly. They merely obeyed her orders. She was not an actual part of the body, but merely a neighboring attachment. In other words... Man was created in such a manner that the soul would reign over the body. This is why I think it's so beautiful that uh, Shaul writes that do not let sin reign in your mortal body, 
but you have to be uh, living by the spirit, you know? And it says they were meant to coexist like good living or like good neighbors living close together in close proximity with each maintaining its own identity. Thus, the spiritual soul could reign over the body and direct it to study Torah and perform mitzvot. It could teach the body how to emulate the ways of the Almighty, even when occupied with earthly matters. Okay, so that's like absolutely ridiculous, right? So then it goes on to say that the Zodic, due to his good deeds and Torah study, is able to extract the soul from the mucky material existence. Thus, the body and the soul coexist as good neighbors, like the bodily limbs and organs, such as arms, legs, eyes, and ears. They are composed of simple bodily tissues, where each one maintains its own original nature and characteristics. So this is the unity of the body and the soul, like happening right now. And then it says over here, I'm on page four now, and it says that the Gemara explains as follows when it says Adam Uvhema, which is man and beast. It says it is a positive and praiseworthy, or it is positive and praiseworthy because it indicates that the person who has maintained the two distinct aspects of a human being and an animal, because, you know, we're made up of a godly soul and an animal soul. On that yeah. Yep. So it says that these two here, that uh, it says when a person has maintained the two distinct aspects, his neshama and his physical body, each one is recognized as a separate entity. That is the implication of the passage Adam Uvhema Tashia Hashem. Like with both of our souls that we are to obey and hearken to Hashem. It says the two become intertwined and inseparable. The two become indistinguishable from one another. There is no longer a separate image of a man with a soul and a separate image of a material being. This new foreign creature is merely a behemoth. So, in other words, when you really get down to how Hashem created that the soul would be the governor of the body, but it dropped out, it dropped down some more section that I did not uh, recite, but it was talking about how through the fall of man from eating from the tree, that we caused that whole balance to be thrown off. And so now we're at war with our spirit, basically. But through returning back to Torah, i.e. namely Mashiach, that we now, we have a greater opportunity because now it's not that the, the spirit is calling out orders and the body is listening to it. It's like they're fused into one which namely is Mashiach. So if we're trying to ever figure out like he's a manifestation of Hashem, he's in the likeness of man, but he's really 
Hashem, he's like the spirit, the Torah made flesh. It's just like, yes, just like what Hashem has given us the opportunity to do through Mashiach, to walk like him, to take these two entities and fuse them together and become the one new man that's also talked about in the letters of Shaul. So I thought that was really crazy because it's just like when we're talking about how we're having a moon of struggles, it's really that we have to fuse the acts of our body with the spirit that Hashem has placed within us. You know, and we get to do that through the Torah. We get to do that through walking literally in the path, the way, the truth, and the life of Mashiach Yeshua. So, and the, and the Moedim, the divine appointed festivals of, of, of mercy, you know. That's how do right. You, again, how do you go from, from condemned to, to mercy, you know, it's. You gotta, you gotta meet with Hashem. You gotta return to Hashem. Amen. So now, about Korak, he does this whole thing about the neshama, and I'm trying to find it. And this kind of be my last little drop here. Well, you, I, I'm just gonna just tell you that you tap the whole Korak making teshuva. Uh, if he would have made the show with the whole assembly, something like that, I, I can't remember. You said you wanted to tap it. Right. That's what I'm trying to do here. Uh, okay, here it is. Baruch Hashem. It is on page five. Now, this right here is coming from Toldot Yaakov Yosef. Now, that's that's a fitting title. Yaakov Yosef. Because, you know, Yosef and Yaakov were like mirror images to one another. But anyway, uh, it says, man's body is made up of many components, parts, including its 248 organs and limbs and its 365 sinews. They are all merely man's flesh, but they are not the man himself. Okay. Okay. I don't know if he caught that, <laughs> but Wait, again? man's body is made up of many components, including the 248 organs and limbs and the 365 sinews. Right. They are all merely man's flesh, but they are not the man himself. Wow. <sighs> I mean, I don't even know if I caught that, like good night like this is our body but this is not us like right this is mashiach's body but this is not hashem you know like i mean it is hashem but it's like this is not the totality of hashem but it's him just like this is our body but this is not the totality of us oh my goodness okay so it says that it is the three major elements of the soul the nefesh, the ruach, and the neshama within him that are called man. So likewise, the general structure of the nation of Israel is composed of 248 limbs 
and 365 sinews. The Zadikim of the generation are its neshama. Mm. Supplying the life force for that generation. In other words, the new life that we have in Mashiach, we are new creations in Mashiach. Like, here that is, right here. Then it says, the Chasim Sofer on Mishpatim also writes that it is well known that the nation as a whole, the nation of Israel as a whole, is analogous to a single human being. All of Israel is is a single human being. Mm. (laughs) And its name is Yisrael. The preeminent members of Yisrael who are closest to Hashem represent its brain and neshama. Wow. So, the whole thing about Azadik being the Nashama of Yisrael, the life force of the people, Korak setting himself up literally as the Nashama of these people that he led in rebellion. Good night. Is their life force exerted within them? And it's just kind of like because he is disunified and separated from Hashem, instead of being Kol Echad, they were Korach apart. Because if you look at the Midrash, it says that these 250 men had 250 different ways that they wanted to lead the congregation. As well as Korach wanted to lead by not leading he wanted to create complete and total anarchy he wanted to be completely the opposite of Kol Echad and so if you think about the fact that if him making Teshuvah not only could he put everybody on the same page but he would also cause himself and all of these people and their households and all of their stuff to not perish and that's the power of Teshuvah. Right. It's like, a, it's like a great unifier. It also saves us from the pit of destruction, which is hell, by the way. Just want to make sure, again, that I double down on that. I've been talking about that all week because people say Jews don't believe in hell. So there it is. Um, so anyway... I just thought that was really interesting. So if we really go all the way back to Mashiach Yeshua being the Zodic, being the one who is our life force, that completely unifies us with Hashem. That completely explains chapter 17, Yeshua's prayer, or Yochanan chapter 17, Yeshua's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, like about being unified with Hashem, being one in Him, being one with another. We are one, yeah. That's our life force. So, Rosh, if we don't make Him the Rosh, then, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing? 
So unless you have anything else, uh, I mean, I'm kind of like, yeah, I, yeah. I think I'm I'm like blue screened on everything that just went down right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what do we know? What, what do we know? What do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vekaye Olam Natabeto Peinu, Baruch Atadonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen. Well, Ishpela, it's been incredible. I appreciate your insights and all of your downloads that you've shared with us blessings upon you and your household and may you have an amazing Shabbat Gam Lecha Shomer Adam Amen I receive that and to all the listeners blessings to you as well from Shomer Man and Ish Pela blessings over the rest of your Shavua and may your Shabbat be blessed as well so this is Shomer Man and Ish Pela Shalom Shalom